Hello folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to the Daily Evolver. It is a beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in Boulder, Colorado, and I hope you are having a beautiful day too, wherever you are on the planet. And I can't help but be thinking of our friends over in Budapest, uh, who are now in the midst of the Integral European Conference, and I doubt you're watching this live because you have other things to do. But if you, or when you hear it later, just know that in real time, I'm thinking of you. And, um, and part of me is wishing I was there. Uh, and, uh, and, and part of me is grateful that I didn't have to get on an airplane, but so it goes. Uh, also want to thank Integral Life uh, once again for hosting this, particularly the live webcast and, and for posting most of the, um, the episodes. And uh, to point out that all of the episodes are posted on my site, my personal site, dailyevolver.com. So with that out of the way, um, I did want to share, I promised that I would and I, and I want to share a little bit about last week, which was my staycation, where I took a vacation without ever leaving the house. And I didn't do any new podcasts. And I just focused on other things. It's a beautiful spring here. I worked in the garden. I did some reorganizing. I hiked. I did some reading. All of the things that I wanted to do. But I also did one thing that I didn't really plan and um, sort of stumbled into, but it turned out to be the most profound thing of all. And that is, I didn't eat anything between Sunday dinner and Saturday breakfast. So a full five day fast, a little more on either end. And it was a pretty powerful and illuminating experience. I was inspired to do it by my friend Steve McIntosh, who integral philosopher, in fact, that just published a podcast where I interviewed him about the history of integral thought, which he's such a beautiful expert on. And of course, he's doing his own thing. He's working on his fourth book. And at, at, at any rate, they're dear friends, he and his wife, Taya, and they're frequent fasters. And they have been singing the praises of fasting for a long time. And so they sort of inspired me, and I thought I'd do it when I had a chance. And, um, and they gave me this book, or lent me this book, uh, The Complete Guide to Fasting, Heal Your Body Through Intermittent, Alternate Day, and Extended Fasting. And intermittent means where you eat in one block of the day, like a four-hour block around dinner or breakfast or whatever, and that's it, just one time a day. The alternate day is where you stop eating for a day, the week, or a couple of days a month. And then there are the extended fasts, like the five-day fast and even longer. And the book seems very, you know, scientific and med medically sound. It's written by uh, Dr. Jason Fung, who is, has a clinic. He's an MD, and he has an advisory board of highly credentialed people, and it's full of testimonials and charts and graphs and you know how these things are. Uh, and you know, I hold all that kind of lightly because I know how you can make an argument, but it was intriguing. It has, you know, clear benefits and um, you know, they're uh, really of two types. One is 
physical benefits, and then there's the benefits sort of psychologically or in the subtle body, if you will. And, um, and they talk about that. And this Dr. Fung, Fung uh, sort of does an overview of all types of fasts, and then he talks about the type of fasting that they do in their clinic and the amazing results they get in terms of weight loss, and particularly with type 2 diabetes and all of the diseases associated with that metabolic syndrome, with that, you know, insulin sugar thing. So I have to say that, you know, I'm happy accruing any of the health benefits. And I'll talk about some of those in a minute. Uh, the main one being that I lost 10 pounds, uh, which I was happy about, around my belly too, which is where I wanted to lose it. And, but there was, Another more surprising benefit, and the only way I can describe it is that I, I think of it as it, <laughs> it strengthened my character, you know, or something like that. I, I feel like I'm a better person for having done it. I'm a more upright person, more of myself. And I was surprised by that. I didn't expect that. And one of the reasons that I didn't expect it is that actually I'm a fairly experienced faster, or at least I used to be. Uh, I fasted, I don't know, maybe a dozen or more times back in my 20s and 30s when I was doing very, various spiritual practices and, and, you know, just whatever. And um, in Boulder, you do fast. <laughs> it's one of those things, people do that. And so I got caught up in it, whatever. But I, I remember it being um, you know, hard. And particularly the second day uh, where the hunger would really kick in and be almost too much for me and I'd really have to white knuckle it. But I would, I did it. I was always proud of myself. Uh, it didn't seem to have any particular benefit other than the fact that I did it and felt you know like I had an achievement. Uh, but you know eventually I, sort of lost my taste for it. It was too hard. <laughs> so, you know, that's why when I started this fast, this last Sunday night, Monday morning, it was almost on an impulse, a, a lark, uh, just to see, you know, what would happen. I had this, you know, week without any podcasts and Chuck was gone for the first part of the week. And, you know, I didn't make any kind of grand commitment. I saw it very much in the spirit of experimentation, you know, sort of moment by moment. Uh, I didn't you know, ask for God's help. It was really none of that. I didn't even tell anyone I was doing it because I wasn't sure I was. <laughs> but I started on Monday morning and I didn't eat breakfast, which is easy enough for me. I'm often not hungry in the morning. Uh, but then I didn't eat lunch and that's unusual. You know, normally I go and you know, have something mid-morning and, you know, that sort of starts a grazing that can go on through the rest of the night. Uh, but I didn't have my lunch. I didn't, um, you know, anything in the afternoon. And by the time I got to Monday evening, I was amazed at how easy it had been. Uh, it's just, you know, I felt hunger and I felt sort of a habitual hunger where I wanted to you know, have that impulse to eat the habit of grabbing a handful of nuts or, you know, the habit of, you know, how we sort of 
construct our lives around eating and meals and planning and shopping and cooking and going out and meeting friends all the way that, you know, we do that. And in my case, if I'm home alone, I just kind of eat constantly. So, you know, I always sort of had to stop myself in that habitual way. But in terms of a physical hunger, I was surprised that it didn't, uh, you know, happen. And even Tuesday morning, uh, but I expected it to hit. Uh, as it normally did, at least by noon on the second day. The second day was always the hard day. And for some reason, it just never got its claws into me. And yes, I felt hunger. I felt some fatigue, you know, but it, none of it felt that important. And, and I liked that. I liked, it was, in a sense, that's the way I saw it. It was like there, but it wasn't the most important thing that was going on in a way. And so, you know, uh, I I was sort of off to the races here. I was in the middle of day two and uh, one hour passed after another and it became fun to see how long I could go. And so I passed dinner and went to bed without dinner on Tuesday night and I slept good and got up Wednesday morning again, wasn't hungry. And, you know, that's basically how it went. You know, I had some hunger. It didn't seem all that gripping or important. And I, you know, one hour went by and after another. And, and, and on Wednesday, Taya McIntosh brought me the book and I started reading it. And then I, you know, sort of straightened up around this whole idea as a practice and became more committed and decided I would go to Saturday morning. And I started drinking bone broth, which they really recommend is something to keep your electrolytes and minerals going, but it's a completely clear broth. And um, so no calories. And, and the other thing I had going for me again is that, and this is something they emphasize in the book that, you know, I was on my staycation. I wasn't even traveling. I was here at home with, you know, not a big schedule. And so, um, you know, and, and as they emphasize in the book, do this when you're not under stress, uh, you know, even happy stress like holidays or celebration. Find time when you can do it and, and um, not be, you know, have all kinds of expectations. So, you know, Chuck came back on Wednesday. Uh, he joined me. I hadn't even told him about it. And so he fasted started Wednesday and then together we broke it on Saturday morning with a nice avocado omelet. And the whole thing was remarkably easy. And um, so to, to just go into the, you know, the, the, the benefits in terms of the, the physical body, we're, we're going to talk about the physical body, the subtle body, maybe even the causal body in a way, in terms of the spiritual body. But, but in terms of the physical body, and this is where they really focus in this book, it's um, mainly the, um, the, uh, the act of fasting gets your insulin in uh, sort of a reset. And, and here's how they put it in the book. This is this uh, Dr. Jason Fung. He says, a decreased insulin level is one of the most consistent hormonal effects of fasting. All foods raise insulin to some degree. Refi- refined carbohydrates tend to raise insulin the most and fatty foods the least but insulin still goes up in both cases. Therefore, 
the most effective method of reducing insulin is to avoid all foods altogether. Simple. I, I, there's something about the simplicity of a fast. I didn't have to worry about calories or what I was eating. I just, no eating. I like that. He goes on and he says, regularly lowering insulin levels leads to improved insulin sensitivity. In other words, your body becomes more responsive to insulin. The opposite of insulin sensitivity, which is high insulin resistance, is the root problem in type 2 diabetes and has been linked to a number of diseases, including, and it goes through this whole list of heart disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, cholesterol, blood pressure, obesity, fatty liver, gout, arteriosclerosis, uh, reflux, apnea, and cancer. So, um, I'm, you know, I'm good with all that. I was, um, I'm happy to, um, to have whatever benefits accrue on, on the physical level. And again, for me, uh, it was 10 pounds of weight loss that was obvious. And I understand that some of that is water, that three or four pounds of that is water, but it's a good honest six or seven pounds of fat and it is around my middle. And, you know, the research shows that you lose fat, not lean mass. And um, so, you know, I'm happy about that. And I actually, here we are, I'm now five days eating and I have maintained that weight because I've been sort of in a different relationship with food, which is, you know, one of the big benefits to my character, you know, is how I see it. And, and, and that is that, you know, first of all, I feel like I've broken out of the food spell. I've woken out of this food you know, coma where I was, you know, moving from meal to meal like an eating machine. And, you know, I used to actually worry about missing a meal because of performance or whatever. And, you know, after reading this book, I realized there's no need to worry about that. And they emphasize that. And, you know, they point out that our evolutionary history, the first, you know, mi certainly millions of years of being, uh, uh, mammals and primates, but even the 200,000 years of being anatomically modern humans was until, I don't know, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, a series of feasts and famines. And we evolved to perform optimally under those conditions. And, you know, if you think of the sort of pre-traditional, the, the tribal, the warrior stages, um, food was you know, life was organized, organized around finding calories. And then that continued into traditionalism in a sense where whole cultures could go down with droughts or climate change or whatever. But for the most part, when we get to traditionalism, traditionalism, one of the, um, you know, the lower right quadrant, the third person manifestation of traditionalism is agriculture. And so food, you know, is more predictable. And at this point, fasting uh, becomes a practice of spiritual devotion. Uh, and, you know, so it's, and that continues to this day that Muslims are on Ramadan and Christians fast and, and contemplatives fast. And I did plenty of fasting with the Buddhists when I was really working in that tradition. And, you know, so traditionalism, it maintains until we get to modernity. Uh, where everything changes. And all of a sudden, we go from not enough calories to too many. And, uh, and so the problem with too many calories is 
serious, but you know, uh, 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 weighed against not having enough, most of us would probably take it. But anyway, here's, here's how Dr. Fung puts it. Dr. Fung, sorry, puts it. He says, although fasting has been practiced for millennia, it has been largely forgotten as a dietary therapy. There are virtually no books about it. There are a few websites dedicated to fasting. There's almost no mention of it in newspapers or magazines. Even its very mention draws stares of incredulity, not in Boulder again, but you know, if I talk about it with my family of origin and Pennsylvania and stuff, they don't really, would never they don't think about it. Um, so we're a few, uh, yes, it's a secret hiding in plain sight. How did this happen? Through the power of advertising, big food companies have slowly changed how we think of fasting. Instead of being a purifying, healthful tradition, it's now seen as something to be feared and avoided at all costs. Fasting was extremely bad for business, after all. Selling food is difficult if people won't eat. Slowly but inevitably, fasting has become forbidden. Nutritional authorities now allege that even skipping one single meal will have health consequences that could be dire. The truth is exactly the opposite. There is no correlation whatsoever between constant eating and good health. So, um, you know, I'm not crazy about that sort of formulation, that story about how the big companies did it to us. I think there's part of the truth to that. And there's some really sketchy history in terms of uh, dietary recommendations that sort of fell to the money machine. But from a bigger perspective, we're entering modernity. You know, everybody thought we were doing the right thing. We had unlimited calories. We wanted them. We wanted to do other things besides grub for food. And we wanted them for our kids, for grandma, for grandpa. We, you know, created this amazing system of calorie production that safely feeds, in the case of the United States, 330 million people every day. And, um, you know, that's a remarkable achievement. And it's true for all developed countries and even for what you would call second world countries. People who are actually still looking for calories are down to maybe over, a little over a billion people, which is a lot, you know, and we want them to move out of that into higher stages of development. But it's a remarkable thing that human beings have done in the way of delivering calories. Now, there's, of course, a big downside to this upside. This is always how it works. Evolution is beautiful, but not pretty. But in order for the system to work, at least thus far in our evolutionary history, it had to be, as everything was in modernity, industrialized with, you know, all the attendant downsides, processing, you know, vitamins gone, sugar intensified, salt intensified, because that's how you know, our bodies are uh, programmed. When we find something sweet, we know there's calories. You know, if there's something fatty, something salty. So we got all that. We wanted foods that were shelf-stable. Uh, so we added a, a hydrogen atom 
to, um, uh, to fat, making it trans fat, which could make it shelf stable, but of course it's poisonous. And, <laughs> you know, it's sort of a nightmare in its own way. I remember reading an article about Twinkies. And I like Twinkies. I love Twinkies. I don't have Twinkies very often, but I love them when I have them. But what Twinkies are, this, the, in this story of the Twinkies, is that it's, first of all, the classic sponge cake with a buttercream filling. This is you know, France, you know, the, 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 every tradition uh, you know, of, of, of good baking has this, some version of this. So they couldn't use, you know, they, they had to have something that wouldn't go stale, that wouldn't go bad. So they're simulating this, you know, classic dessert with whatever they can do to make it shelf stable. So they end up with, you, you can't use butter, you can't use cream. Uh, so they use what is referred to in the food industry as food grade plaster of Paris is one of the ingredients. I must say I lost my taste for Twinkies a bit when I heard that. And of course we have, in terms of this industrialization, this creation of meat factories that are, will be the shame of our era to our uh, progeny, where living sentient beings are being treated as units of production as they move through the production line of creating meat for us. And um, so, you know, the downside of the upside. But we got the food, and, and so we, we eat it regularly. We have this you know, whole thing about three meals a day and snacks and the whole bit. But again, this is not our evolutionary history. And we were evolved to thrive with sporadic fasting. Uh, I think of um, you know, reading about the American Indians and these warriors that would go on the hunt or go out waging war, and they would go days without eating. And they weren't depleted, believe me. They were lit up. They were in an altered state. They were alert, disciplined, capable of great physical feats, really tuned into each other. And this is, you know, one of the benefits of fasting. And I never really thought of it. I thought of it as being more spiritual, getting closer to God. I can't say that happened. I didn't work with that in a particular way. But in my subtle body, uh, and, and this is the second thing, you know, I, I said first I broke out of the food uh, illusion, the food habit. Uh, the second thing that happened for me was I feel like I strengthened my subtle body in you know, terms of the interiors and the exteriors. The interiors in terms of my thinking and my will. Um, I felt myself become more disciplined, in a way more self-respecting. You know, I felt better about myself. And, and then there's in the exteriors of the subtle body, the different kind of discipline where the energetics are different. And it's not like the discipline where I'm struggling against cravings, but it's that I'm less gripped by the cravings in the first place. And that's a shift for me. And, you know, and that's not like me, actually. I'm quite gripped by cravings a lot of the time, most of the time, essentially. And, you know, 
I, the, the way I could describe it is, is I, I thought about this chocolate cake that my wonderful culinary genius friend, Michelle, makes. And she had made it uh, for a dinner party a week or so ago before my fast. And I had a piece and then and it was delicious. Oh my God. And then she sends a quarter of it, a big quarter of a cake home with me. And I knew I shouldn't have taken it, but I did. And I couldn't get to bed before I ate the whole damn thing. Um, I just had bite after bite after bite, and I just couldn't shove it in down my throat, my face. And um, it was, um, you know, knowing the whole time that it, I wouldn't sleep as well, I'd feel sluggish in the morning, you know, all of that stuff. But it was just a food addiction. So in the middle of my fast, you know, maybe when I'm Wednesday and Thursday where I'm really feeling good and I'm really cruising along, I thought of that cake and I actually felt an aversion to it. And, you know, this is, of course, the curse of humanity, addiction and aversion, things we want, things we want to get away from, you know, and this is, you know, what we, this is the, the, the uh, or, or origin of suffering in terms of Buddhism. And so we want to develop equanimity in the middle way where we have choice. And, um, and, and so now, after the fast and I'm eating, I no longer have the aversion. Uh, the chocolate cake feels appealing to me anymore. But it, doesn't, it, but it doesn't feel gripping in the way. It feels like I do have choice so far. You know, I'm not making any claims and I, you know, I, I would have to keep an eye on this. But so far, so good. I'm not back to the, beyond the addiction and the aversion. What was extra surprising to me is the non-food benefits in terms of my addictions. You know, I lost interest in marijuana which I never lose interest in marijuana. I in, interestingly lost interest in drinking this sparkling water that I'm addicted to, this fizzy water that I get, these cans of fizzy water, uh, which I drink five or six cans a day, and I didn't want it. I just wanted plain water. And I lost interest uh, in sex. You know, it wasn't on my mind as much. You know, porn, you know, Chuck was gone. It was... Uh, it was, um, it was great. You know, it was interesting to watch those things fall away as well. And actually quite mysterious to me because I don't remember that happening before any of that. And I was thinking, is it because I'm older? I have a different metabolism? You know, what is it? And I was talking about it with my friend, Brian Zur, who I tweet some of his stuff from time to time, by the way, it's really great. And he's a Kalyana Metta to me. He is a spiritual friend. That's a Buddhist phrase for spiritual friend and has been for 30 plus years. I mean, we've been to the nude retreats. We've been to India. We've been, you know, we, we've had a spiritual practice that's very much in tune, very much communicating with each other. And I was telling him about this. And he thought for a second and he came back and he said, did you ever consider, Jeff, that this ease that you experienced might just be the fruit of your practice over the decades. <laughs> and I actually it hadn't occurred to me that it might be. And I don't know, I'm a little suspicious because, you know, I'm still a craving being, but 
I, I, I'm, I'm definitely noticing that. I'm definitely taking that into consideration. And if so, then thank you, God, for the fruits of the path, because it's profound. And, you know, and even the whole idea, and, and this is, you know, when we talk about being evolving beings, the idea of strengthening and evolving, essentially, my subtle body, my energy body, my body of thought and habit and all of that stuff, not the physical body, but the, the idea of strengthening and growing that, developing in that line is a very beautiful realization and very encouraging and life-affirming and evolution-affirming, growth-affirming, and especially, you know, a, grateful for it because it's arising at the stage of life where it's clear that I'm losing the physical, you know, I'm losing, I'm 64, I'm losing strength physically and um, that I could be actually growing in the discipline, the subtle, the, you know, the, the, in a sense, the warrior, it's, it's almost the positive of the red where you're just, you know, have energy and focus and, um, and, 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 and aren't driven by the, you know, uh, cravings of the flesh. Um, or at least you have some control over that. Anyway, so that's the second uh, thing, is my subtle body and interior, exterior. And the third thing I realized <laughs> is that I'm very suggestible. Um, I, I definitely have the placebo effect, effect at work uh, because uh, at the beginning I expected, you know, I had this idea that fasts are hard and fasts, uh, you know, you have fatigue and mood swings and irritation and all of that stuff. Now, like, like I said, I didn't have the cravings. But I did get mood swings and fatigue and irritation, none of which bothered me that much because I was here alone. I didn't have a lot going on and I could, you know, sort of indulge it. So none of it, again, felt as gripping and important. I love thinking of it in terms of it just didn't feel as important as it used to, you know, all of my sort of irritations and preferences and what wasn't working my way. Uh, but by on Wednesday, when I got the book, and I was reading that, you know, the, the idea of fatigue and irritation and mood swings, not necessarily. And that a lot of people, particularly if, when they're, if they work with this, um, you know, fasting as a practice, actually can expect energy and clarity and um, strength. And when I expected that, after started reading the book on Wednesday, I started getting that. You know, I was focused like um, I rarely am, actually. I could read, I could watch a movie without nodding off. I, I was strong, I could hike, I worked out at the gym. I was up puttering around and working and reorganizing at midnight, I noticed one night. I'm, I could barely make it to 10 o'clock most nights. And I felt engaged and creative. All the things he said I would find. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the placebo guy. So I'm grateful for that. And, um, and I was surprised by that. And uh, yeah, after you know, not, I haven't had a, anything to eat for since you know, it's Thursday, it's Friday, it's Sunday night, and I'm feeling great. So, you know, go figure. So I realize 
in closing, so here, you know, we are Wednesday. Uh, I've been back for five days eating. And, and I, as I said, I'm maintaining the weight. I, I got my scale out. It's, it's working. Uh, I feel less gripped entirely by food. I mean, I can miss a meal. I can say no to the handful of nuts or whatever. I've stayed completely away from soft carbs and sugar and I'm nervous about them. Uh, so, you know, we're, it's a work in progress here and I can feel the grip just wanting and ready to return as addictions do, you know. So I realize this is an ongoing practice, but I do find, feel that I found an interesting and good practice for this stage of my life. And, and one that I would recommend other people consider because, you know, it, it basically goes up against the, you know, one of the big challenges of contemporary life. There's, we get so many gifts of, from modernity and post-modernity. But one of the challenges is this just general affluenza, you know, the ability to have all of we want of so many things, food and, and porn and communication with other people and the remote controls and stimulation and toys. And I've gained an increased appreci appreciation for the power of deliberately fasting and re-regulating your mind and body to its default state. And I realize it's not that hard to do. And so I want to continue to, you know, not get in the spell of unconscious habitual eating. I probably will, believe me, but I'll keep you posted. I don't want to, I don't want to have a, that was a bad placebo. That was, that was a nocebo. Uh, I'm going to do it. But, you know, you know the, the daily fast occasionally, he has a whole program in here for sort of maintaining. And, um, and but, but mainly, but I'm also interested in applying the practice of fasting to other aspects of my life. And what comes up for me when I think about it is, you know, to take a media fast, to take a week or five days or whatever, and turn off all electronic media. You know, maybe keep the phone for family and friends, but otherwise to live the life that my grandfather led. Actually, to live the life that I led as a kid. You know, we had TV, but you know, it wasn't on much, and uh, and there was nothing else. And to just unplug from that, I'm feeling like I'm in the spell of that right now, in the same way that I was in the spell of food. And I think it's you know, if you if you you read, you know, these sites on Reddit where people are writing about being media addicted and it's a serious thing and has consequences and keeps people from living their lives and pe keeps people shut into their homes and having social anxiety. And, you know, we're, the, the downside of the media um, onslaught is becoming clear. And, you know, when that becomes clear, people do things about it. And so that's one thing I think that I want to do. And I'm planning, you know, my summer schedule is where I'm not going to be doing three days a week. Uh, I'm going to think I'm going to do that through June 8th. Don't quote me. But then I'm going to go until Labor Day and I'll post occasionally. But I'm going to use that time for all kinds of things. But one of them is going to be a media fast. And I'll let you know how that goes. So there. 
um, <laughs> from the frontiers of practice, at least my practice. And again, I just was just amazed at the benefits that I didn't expect. Um, and um, hallelujah for that. So, all right. Well, if you're interested, again, the book is called The Complete Guide to Fasting, and it's by Jason Fung. And um, I appreciate you listening and stay tuned for the next Daily Evolver. Check out the one Steve and I did earlier. It's the one, I think it'll be the last one we posted, which is on the history of integral theory. Um, show some love to integral life and um, check out dailyevolver.com and we'll see you next time. Thanks folks. Bye-bye.